This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, LSPod fans, it's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off could be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hello and welcome to the Love strangers a swindon town fan podcast with me rich pullen proudly sponsored by the stfc official supporters club rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside beautiful play that is that what a shot Thank you very much for taking part. Yeah, no problem, no problem. Okay, so you've heard a couple episodes before, so we start right at the beginning. Who did you support when you were younger, and who were your childhood football heroes? Um, when I was younger, my dad was a Tottenham supporter, and then my little brother ended up playing for Tottenham, so that made me a Tottenham supporter, um, just by just by having loyalty to my <laughs> to my dad and brother. <laughs> um, then I ended up being at Tottenham as a schoolboy, so that kind of confirmed that element of it. Um, other than that, when I was in my teens, um, a couple of the boys used to love Man, Man United, so I kind of got into my outside of outside of London club was Man United, and then my inside London, um, of London club was Tottenham. So I had both strips. Um, in terms of my childhood idols, Paul Lintz was one of them, and then Bucktu Ronaldo, just an amazing player. Um, so they were the two that I kind of looked up to as I was like growing in the sport myself. So you you say there that you started out in in the Tottenham setup. Was that when you were particularly young? Yeah, I was a schoolboy. 
Um, I didn't even sign papers for him, to be honest. Like, I got a trial with them and I ended up playing with them for about a year. And they, they that was the year before you got your YTS. Um, and because I hadn't signed any papers for them, they kind of forgot about me, to be honest. My brother was playing for them as well when he was like 10 years old. I wasn't sure what I was going to be doing, whether I got the YTS or whether I would be going, you know, continuing going to school. And it was only when my dad asked when my brother went back the next season, he said, oh, what about my other son? They were like, who's that then? And he was like, well, Jarrell. And they were like, oh, no, he didn't get it. <laughs> I was like, oh, cheers. Thanks for that. That's incredible, isn't it? Especially when you think the level of that club. Well, it's very, really interesting because before before we broke up that season, at the end of that season, I was in the office with John Moncur and he brought me in with another player who was a centre-half. And for a majority of that year, I'd been playing a year above myself. So they put me in the same in the same team as Peter Crouch when he was playing because um, I think we were about similar ages. So they put me in a year above and I was doing actually quite well. So I actually was quite confident of getting the, the YTS. Um, but they pulled me in at the end of the season with another boy and he was a bit taller than I was. And then they, they asked me, oh, how tall is your your dad? My dad's not tall. I was like five foot ten. They asked the other boy, oh, six foot three. Then they said, what about your uncles? I was like, well, my uncle's like six one. My other uncle's about six foot. And the other boy was like, yeah, six foot four, six foot five. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, if this is based on on family genetics, I've got no chance. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and that was that. And that was how I, I believe personally that's how John Monker um, made his choice um, because the other boy wasn't playing in the same year um, in a, at the same level he was still playing at the, his original age and I was playing at the year year above so that was interesting but I didn't I didn't get the YTS there yeah so uh, did I go off on a tangent I think I did <laughs> this this uh, podcast appreciates pretty much all tangents don't worry about that (laughs) (laughs) so what age are you at that stage where Tottenham forget about you um well that was to get the YTS so I believe 16 yeah 16 so I yeah I think turning 15 so 14 15 because I got released um or I didn't know I was going to get the YTS from them and then I played non-league for a year so I ended up playing for Hendon Hendon, um in the in the reserves and first team at I'd be, I believe, at 15 years old, and then I got my YTS at Watford for one um, for the second year. So I ended up a second year YTS. Um, so I missed a year. I wasn't able to do the first year because obviously I was still trying to get into the um, still trying to get into a, at a professional club at that point. And that's when I ended up going on trial to Watford. And what was interesting about that one is that was supposed to be a two a two week trial. It was supposed to be, and you know. The, me not having that that schooling, that kind of professional schooling at a young age, there's certain things you don't know how to do or you're not familiar with. So uh, the first three days was all this technical stuff that they were doing. And I was like, boy, I don't do this. I just play football matches, you know. And so I was a bit out of my comfort zone. And so um, I didn't really, I don't think I really looked that good in the first two, three days. And they made a phone call to my to my manager at, um, at Hendon, whose son was also on trial with me. And they said, I'll tell Jarrell and your son that they're not good enough and not to come back. So three days into a supposedly two-week trial, <laughs> I was told not to come back. But my manager actually forgot to tell me, so I ended up going back. <laughs> so I've, I've gone back and everyone's looking at me funny, like the manager, the management. And that was um, Jimmy Gilligan and Gary Johnson at the time. And they're looking at me like, what's he doing here? 
So we told them not to come back. And but finally they did stuff that I was good at, which was, you know, match related games, things to do with my defensive abilities and I was actually playing against their their older players. Um and the one thing I knew about myself is physically I could, you know, kind of match it with men because I was playing in the men's team at Hendon. So that physicality I always had in my game. So, you know, after after that training session I had I had an arm around my shoulder, you know, saying, Oh, he did really well today. Do you want to come on trial to to Norway, um, on tour, sorry, on tour to Norway. And obviously I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to even be there that day. Um, so it's funny how things change. Um, so I went, I went to Norway with them. We'd had, we did a tournament out there and on off the back of that tournament, they signed me, um, for my second year YT. Um, and they, they, they were so impressed that they didn't even have the, the allocation cause they have a certain allocation for the boys. Um, that are in YT, so they gave me a. Uh, it's called it was called a non-contract. Um, so they put me on non-contract forms, but I did everything that all of the contracted players did. I got paid the same way and all that kind of stuff. It was just another way of giving me a contract because they had already taken up their allocation that year. And then within the first, well, I wouldn't say within it, I had my first game as a YTS player against Fulham, and then I was told I was never going to play for the club again because <laughs> <laughs> I had a game. So it just seemed to be a, um, a a bit of a baptism of fire. I went, I went there, and with the YTS players, you get to you get to have a couple of first year pros um, play um, at the lower level. So the bigger, the older players can play in the YTS games. Yeah, just give them game time. And it turns out a couple of their players or their strikers in particular were um, first year pros while we were second year YTSs. So they were a bit more advanced. And yeah, they just they just destroyed me at that point in the first half. I think we were three 0 down. I was, I was like, in, in in reality, I was happy to be at the Fulham training ground. It was awesome, immaculate pitches, kind of in awe of the place. And then these guys are excellent players, you know. And you're thinking, oh, this is they're really really good. <laughs> actually, I'm playing terrible, <laughs> but you're actually admiring these players as they're playing. So. I was kind of in awe at that point. It was a bit of a, a shock to the system because I'd never been in that environment, you know, all that professionalism, you know, and they were a Premier League team at the time. And then he took me off at half time, you know, um, cursed me out a little bit with a few expletives, you know, and, and that was a shock to the system as well. You know, the way they speak to you as children or younger players, you know, I'm, I'm not used to people talking to me in a certain way or I wasn't at that point. And I was like, hold on, you know, my dad don't even speak to me like this. Yeah, I've got this football coach speaking to me like I'm like I'm a piece of crap. And yeah, I didn't play again for the rest of the season until that manager left. Wow. And all I'm uh, getting from this is uh if you're told not to come back, go anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't get the message. So there's loads of players around Watford at, at this time, but who were in your age group when you were when you were playing for them? Um, within my age group was Jack Smith, Lloyd Doyley, um, Ashley Young was a couple of years younger, but he was in and around us. Um, Jermaine Pennant came on 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 trial, not trial, on loan as well, because obviously Arsenal were just next door um, to our training ground. Um, so yeah, in, within that age group or in and around that age group, you know, especially the reserves, 
we had loads of players that used to come in and out. Mm. Um, and we were part of the Premier Reserve League because we had just got um, relegated from the Premier League at the time um, when Graham Taylor was there. And so, you know, our, our, our games were actually really, really good. We were always playing against like Tottenham. So I played against Jermaine Defoe for a majority of my reserve career. And he was he was excellent, you know, really really good, you know, good to sharpen your tools against people like that. So yeah, we were mixed with quite a few high caliber players, like high caliber English players when we were growing. But yeah, realistically, Ashley Young was the one that kind of got released. So similar thing, he got released. He said, "Oh, can I just come and train?" <laughs> and then look at him now, you know. So you know, you. you one thing it is, I never, I never listened to people telling me I wasn't good enough, even though, you know, realistically throughout my career, that's what I was told. But it is what it is. Some people get the rubber to green. Others have to fight for their career in different ways. Who, who, which Watford coach is responsible for keeping you and and um, giving you the second chance or third chance or fourth chance, depending on the, where you want to start the timeline? Um, it was Luther Blissett. Ah, yeah. So Luther Blissett became the um, the youth team manager and the reserve manager at the time because Jimmy Gilligan left. Gary Johnson left to go and manage Latvia mm-hmm. um, quite early on as well. So he came in. He could see I was low on confidence. I wasn't enjoying it. You know, it was something that I really, really wanted to be. You know, I always wanted to be a footballer. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, I used to send letters to all of the clubs. You know, I sent them to all the clubs near me: Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal, all of them. Because obviously I'm from Northwest London, I sent so many letters back. You know, used to letters back then. You know what I mean? Instead of emails and you know being able to sh- you know send quick messages, everything was long winded. You had to you know buy stamps and all that nonsense. Um, once I got to Watford, I thought, yeah, I'm going to enjoy my my football. Everything's going to be great. And within about what two months, I hated it. I was like, yeah, I used to go home. Um, after training and my dad my dad who loves football absolutely loves it and he wished he could be a footballer but back then um, my dad being from the Caribbean his parents didn't see the value in being a sportsman because there was no money in it mm. so he didn't get that kind of um, support to do that um, where so with me and my brothers he took us everywhere anything that we needed he would make sure we got there my mum was the same make sure we were supported um, with any opportunities that came our way you know, so he'd come home really, really excited. Jay, how was, how was training? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, rubbish. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> you know, and it got to a point where he even, you know, he was getting quite upset. He was like, do you want me to go down? You know, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go and have a word if you need me to. And I said to him, you know, there's no point. The guy don't like me, so it don't matter. And then, like I said, Luther Blissett came in and he, he said, look, he said, some people don't understand certain players. You know, he said, I'll, I'm going to help you out a little bit, help you get your confidence back. I'll play you. You know, and as soon as he said that, it was like a new lease of life. I was like, oh, someone that actually wants me to play is going to give me a chance. And that's when, you know, I played in the FA Youth Cup and I had a really good game at Arsenal um, at Highbury. And even though we lost, I had a really, really good game. And everything kind of changed from that point. I had agents around me telling me, you know, they want to sign me up and help me get to this club and that club and blah, blah, blah. But I ended up signing my my agent ended up being um, Stella Promotions and my agent ended up being Cyril Regis um, so he looked after me from when oh, I was wow. about 20 and, well not 20 um, eight, 19, 20 he took over there was another guy that looked after me for a few years and then he came in and looked after me for pretty much my whole career 
Wow. two of the biggest names of their generations as well yeah and really really good people yeah. you know Cyril was like a mentor to me um, you know I became a born again Christian and he was a born again Christian as well so he became kind of like my spiritual mentor as well as my football mentor and a, a good friend of the family you know so there was, there's lots of things and you know when you think of agents you know it was more not about what he could get me financially but me being a better man helping me to look after my family and stuff like that. So it's really beneficial to have someone like that in your life when you're doing what we do. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of pitfalls to the game. A couple of things Watford-wise. I mean, Gianluca Viali is your manager at one point, isn't he? Which must be an absolutely remarkable feeling to have such a, such a world-renowned name looking after you. Yeah, I mean, at that point when he was the manager, I thought I was going to become a top, top, top footballer. The first, the first year he came, um, he made a couple of mistakes. He brought all, he brought in all these like for older foreign players, yeah. and they kind of came for the paycheck, and you could see it. And um, the younger players were being made second fiddle. I just signed my, um, I signed a three-year pro contract there, and um, it was him that obviously kind of came in after Graham Taylor lost, um, left. Sorry, kind of put in a little bit of okay, we're gonna use some of the younger players now that the first year's gone and it kind of flopped a little bit for him. Um, so he thought we're going to use the young players. So he took myself, Lloyd Doyle and a couple of other younger players um, with the first team to Italy and we went on tour to Italy and we did really well. You know, played against Inter Milan. We drew 2-2. I played I played right back that game and I had a really, really good game. Played against Sampdoria. And so, and Ray Wilkins was the man, uh, the assistant manager and he pulled me to, to the side with Lloyd and say, look, we need to get you guys working technically. You guys have got so much ability. You can be this, you can be that. And you're really full of confidence at that point. Um, and to the point where I was told at the time they wanted to build the defence around me. Um, so I got pulled into the office um, with Terry Byrne, um, who was the, I think he was an agent to... David Beckham, I believe. He looked after David Beckham for a little while. But anyway, they pulled me to one side and he says to me, oh, the gaffer wants to, to build a team around you. You know, put an experienced centre-half next to you and a right-back, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> I'm absolutely buzzing. I go home, tell my dad, oh, Viali said he's going to do this. And so we were kind of on a bit of a high. Then he got sacked about two weeks later. <laughs> I was like, oh, great. And then that kind of... Uh, that kind of led to the financial troubles of Watford at that point. They were asking us to defer wages. Well, they didn't ask me because my wages wasn't that wasn't that high. But the, the higher earners, they asked to defer wages and bonuses and stuff. And obviously, in that time, I had gone on loan to Huddersfield, which went quite well. And then also, I came to Swindon um, for a little while as well. And then um, I think at that point, that is when... Um, after the loan at Huddersfield, I made my debut for Watford against Derby, mm -hmm. and we won two 0 So obviously a clean sheet, you know. And uh, I think Ravenelli was the striker, and Tommy Mooney. And I put both of them in my pocket, to be honest. <laughs> you know, I got man of the match that game on my debut as well. Um, so everything seemed to be going really, really well at that point. And it was just the beginning of the next season where everything kind of fell apart. Um, just because of the financial troubles, they started looking at offers for players. And at yeah. the time, Wickham, um, Tony Adams was the manager of Wickham. And he put a bid in for me and they accepted it. And I was like, just signed a three-year deal. You know, 
why would you get rid of me? Do you know what I mean? And and that was because obviously Viali got sacked. Um, Ray Lewington took over as the manager, and at, and at the time, he was the reserve manager um, before Viali got sacked. And he was always in my ear saying, "Oh, you should be playing in the first team. You know, you should be there. You should be, you know, there or thereabouts." Blah blah blah. And then he got the job, and then pooed his pants and didn't play me. But the reality of it is, there's a lot of pressure in the game, so it's all well and good saying to somebody when it's not you, you should be playing in the first team, you know. And then obviously. Watford were in relegation troubles at the time as well. I was alone at, at Swindon. I came back. I played ten games in the Championship as well. I've done all right actually. I, you know, I had some really really good games. Um, but I just felt I was always going to be the scapegoat for people, mm. um, especially at that point. Um, they were doing badly the whole season. I come in for the last ten games, do good, but if something goes wrong, they're looking for ways out, and obviously you look at the younger players and a, and a few of the older players did did that and they did it to a lot of the younger players you know pointing fingers body language you know that kind of disappointed body language when things go wrong looking at the bench and all of that kind of crap in that sense they the 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 players the older players weren't looking to help the youngsters they were looking to save their own jobs and make sure that there was someone there that could take the fall you know and that's how i felt when i when I played those 10 games, you know, you do well, everything's fine. But as soon as something went wrong, it was unbelievable. Um, and all of the young players felt the same. Like, These guys, I thought they were supposed to help us. I thought it was supposed to be a team. But it's what happens when you're in a rele- relegation battle. You do start looking at how to preserve yourself, you know, which probably is probably kind of, kind of productive, if I'm being honest. You know, I think you need to come together and kind of try and galvanise the team and then see how it goes. Um, but, you know, we're all humans at the end of the day. We all do bits and pieces that ain't great. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Huddersfield because your manager at Huddersfield is a Swindon Town legend in Lou Macari. And how did you find that? Yeah, yeah, I got on really well with him. You know, he showed a lot of faith in me, played me. You know, I was there for about three months, I believe. Um, played most of the games. I was there with Damien Delaney. Delaney. Mm-hmm. We ended up, I think, at Crystal Palace. Yeah, I, I had. Yeah, Joe Jordan was the assistant. Really, 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 really good. I, you know, got on really well with him, and he's someone that saw my potential at that point. So I had, I had nothing bad to say. You know, I was, I was nineteen. You know, getting, you know, good quality, and and good, uh, good quality game time as well as high pressure game time because it was the playoffs. Um, so that was good for my experience. I spoke to Tommy Mooney and due to his affiliation with Watford, I have the same question for you. Do you have an Elton John story? No. <laughs> I don't think I ever saw Elton John when I was there. He was more of a, you know, flyby. You know, every so often you might see him, but I wouldn't. So, no. It's 3-0. And it's Alan Reeves. In February 2003, your long association with Swindon Town begins and you join the club for a couple of months. What's it like rocking up at a football club knowing that you need to establish yourself in this industry? It's tough. It's nerve-wracking at times. You know, so when I first got here, it was, uh, you know, I'd already been on loan at Huddersfield, so I kind of knew what it felt like to be, you know, not the odd one out, but the new face trying to fit in, 
luckily I had I had Sam Parkin and Stefan Migliorenzi to kind of bring me up in the mornings and stuff like that. So I got to know them quite well. So I think sometimes you earn respect by your performances. You know, so even if you're not very well known, if you play out of your skin, people want to talk to you. People go, oh, you know, he's half decent. Whereas if you're rubbish, they're like, oh gosh, why is he here? (laughs) (laughs) So I was able to earn respect through my performances. And so, you know, the way you carry yourself is important. I try not to be arrogant. I try not to, you know, act like I'm above this one and that one, you know, because I don't believe that helps anyone. So, you know, being humble and just, I'm not, I'm not really that outspoken. I'm not the, the loudest person around unless you pee me off. And then, you know, things change a little bit. But yeah, it was, it was quite nice to come in. You know, I had all the schooling of Watford. I had that confidence of being at Huddersfield as well as having a couple of um, appearances in the championship. Mm-hmm. So it was actually quite quite nice to come here and then feel like, you know, I'm making a difference. And obviously we got in the playoffs that year or, you know, against Brighton, wasn't it? Well, that, I think that's the following season. Your first one was the year before. When you first turn up, I mean, Swindon's... Def- Defence is pretty experienced. You've got Gurney, you've got Reeves, you've got Haywood, Willis and Duke. That That's pretty tough sort of group of players to try and impress and obviously try and break into that side, isn't it? It was, but I was so different to all of them. You know, every, all of them are experienced, not necessarily athletic. Um, <laughs> I brought something different to the table um, and it complemented them you know, and, and that's what they needed at the time. You know, if I was playing against Matty Hayward, it was, you know, or Reevesy, or with me, Reevesy, sorry, then it was, you head it, I'll sweep around you guys and make sure there's no danger around the back. So we kind of complemented each other and um, it, it kind of worked. Yeah. And what are your first experiences? What are your first memories of Andy King? Um, initially really really good he was so encouraging towards me which was really um it helps your confidence levels um so when i when i was on loan he treated me really really well and that was why i wanted to sign for you guys in the first place you know there's that oh, i've got this guy who loves me <laughs> always wants me back you know doesn't treat me any uh, doesn't treat me negatively um hopefully knows how to get the best out of me um, so my initial thoughts about him were were always positive. You know, things changed when I signed, um, but that's life. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll we'll talk we'll get to that a bit later on. But ultimately, your Huddersfield's spell and that Swindon spell are the. It's got to be amongst the reasons why why you finally got your Watford debut. And like you said, you played there against. Ravenelli against Derby County and I think King Cladsey played in that game as well so you yeah. know to go from sort of the the League One stuff to to a team like Watford it, it must show that Watford were impressed with those loan spells yeah um uh, Viali um phoned me at Huddersfield he was telling me you know well done keep it going um so there was a lot of there was a lot of belief in my ability at that point you know so you know, going to these places is a good experience for a young player and holding your own is even better, you know. So I was always able to hold my own at that level, mm. um, hence why I probably was able to play at that level quite comfortably for a majority of my career. Um, the, the the dream was to play at the higher levels, you know, and, and I got a taste of that. 
things just didn't go the way I expected them to go. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, you go where you, you feel valued at the end of the day. And as soon as you start feeling devalued, you, you don't feel good about yourself. You start going to where, to where you feel you'll be appreciated. Mm. And, you know, that's what ultimately led to my move to Swindon, you know, was, yeah, they showed me the belief through the loan, you know, or Watford showed me the belief through the loan spells by giving me a few debuts here and there. But ultimately, when they were in trouble, they went for experience. Yeah. You know, Sean Dyche, they brought in, um, they even changed um, Marcus Gale. Oh, he was yeah. a striker yeah. and they turned him into a centre-half. Wow. You know, and it was like, geez, you, you guys really want experience. You <laughs> <laughs> really want experience. You know, and that's and, and and that's how they play. They played with fear. And when you play with fear, you go to what you know. And that was, you know, older players, you know, heads on sticks, no risks. You know, and at, at that age, when I was that age, I was a bit more risky. I, I believed in myself quite a lot. Mm. Um, it didn't turn into anything negative when I was playing in the first team at Watford. Um, so I didn't see if I was, why I was, I didn't see that I was doing anything wrong, so to speak. I was just like, yeah, just getting experience. Yeah. You know? And then you start realizing people want basics. <laughs> <laughs> sweet, sweet basics. Well, yeah. you return for two more loan spells the following season, 2003 4. I think it's only Adam Willis who's left at this point, but now you've got Sean O'Hanlon, Eddie Vivash. Uh, Andy Nicholas, Ben Martin, all competing in in the defensive line. Lone spell one was around about September October time, and I think mm. you I think you're defensive midfielder for that one, weren't you? Um, at times, um, <laughs> times it wasn't all the time. It was just to shore up the defence. Yeah. Uh, when like it, ain't, it isn't to like all of a sudden technically start playing. You would like just head it, make sure you protect the <laughs> protect the back four. Because obviously I've got quite a, a big leap. Mm. That's something I did. I think you know later on down the line, Lee Peacock did the same thing. You know, someone that can jump and head the ball, yeah. place him in front, protect everything. Um, and that's kind of the role you play when you you play that you know that kind of defensive midfield role in a team like in in a team like Swindon. In terms of the way we were set up to play, it wasn't to try and get the ball out the back and try and play. It was more protect what you have. Yeah, and that season is a great one in Swindon history. Well, that season's a, a good one for the memories of Swindon Town fans by the conclusion, but you don't get that far because of recalls. And I don't think you could have... Was it was it disappointing that you couldn't see out the season that year with Swindon? Yes, I wanted to play. You know, I wanted to help get them promoted because, you know, at that time when I was coming through, Watford were bottom of the or at least in the bottom three of the championship, whereas Swindon were trying to get into the championship. So I didn't feel at the time there was a massive gulf between the two teams. So if Swindon were able to get promoted, then that gave me another opportunity to play at a higher level. So, you know, I was praying for them to get to go up because if it went pear-shaped with, with Watford, then at least I had an out which was at the same level. Um, so I was watching it on television. I was, you know, making sure that I was keeping an eye because <laughs> <laughs> it's just opportunities at the end of the day. Um, but it didn't happen, so it was unfortunate. 
Yeah, I think when you do play for Swindon that season, we only lose a few games in your 20-odd appearances, don't we? We only lost, you know, two or three games, I think. It was it was a really good run when we had you in the squad. And maybe if we would have had you for Brighton, it would have made the, made the difference. Yeah, you know, you could say that. You know, we can never we can never know for sure. You know, but in my mind when I was watching it, I was like, oh, if I was playing, this wouldn't this wouldn't happen. You know, we'd, we would have been a bit more solid. Um, especially when I think it was, you know, losing in the last. I think it was the last ten, wasn't it? The last ten seconds. Well, I think it was ten yeah. seconds into injury time of extra time. Not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's things like that. You, you you never know what could have happened if I was there, but. You know, it is what it is. You can't can't change anything, but I, I'll always believe I could have made a difference. Well, at the end of that season, like you've already mentioned, you've got a nice new contract at Watford, but a permanent move away seems likely in the summer of 2004. As you've mentioned, there was a bid from Wickham and maybe Peterborough were trying to uh, force Andy King into action, but your move to Swindon seemed like, a, at the time, a long, drawn-out affair what were your memories of this time was it frustrating for you just trying to get that move well when when the season finished I didn't have any inkling that I would be moving from Watford wow. I was just prepared to go and you know try and get into the first team at Watford and it was in the off season um Ray Lewington phoned me quite sheepishly he's like look I don't really want to do this but you know it's coming from above you know and also I've got centre-halves here you know um, who are going to play ahead of you. So I've accepted a, a a bid from Wickham. And I was like, but I've just signed a deal. Do you know what I mean? And at first I was quite stubborn. I was like, no, I'm not going. It's fine. He's like, are you sure? Because you're not going to play. You're not going to train with us. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, mm, great. You know, it was just like a, everything just kind of changed. And so I was like, well, I went to have a meeting with Tony Adams. And obviously at the time they were in League Two. And you know, financially, they were going to put me on quite a bit of money for being in League Two. Um, but the risk, I felt, was too much. You know, I, like, I don't know if I really want to go from the Championship all the way down to League Two, um, especially when I've actually played that Championship and I didn't find it that difficult to play there. So I was like, no, I don't want to go there. I spoke to my agent. He said, well, you know, he's saying you're not going to play and that will be, you know, you don't want to waste a year. So I said, well, if I'm going to move, the only team I'm going to is Swindon. I don't care about any of the other ones. I don't know the managers. I don't know the players. I'd rather go where I know. Um, so, you know, Wickham and I do believe Peterborough, they all put in bids that were higher. Um, and, I, and Swindon couldn't afford the extra, the extra money that um, others were paying. But I said, well, I'm not going unless I go um, to Swindon. So they took less me to go to Swindon instead of um, forcing me to go elsewhere which I wouldn't anyway I would have just sat on my contract um, so yeah and that's how I ended up leaving and at that point looking back do you wish you sat on your contract and gave Watford another go or are you happy that you got that move to Swindon in regular football uh, <laughs> it's a tough one because I've, I've had my career now so now I've finished and I've got so much good things you know you, I don't just look at it from a from a football perspective if I look at what I actually have now yeah. if I was to say I wish I never left I wouldn't have anything that I have now because you just don't know you know so the reality of it is would I have met my wife would I have met my would I have had my children you know would I have the job I have now you know where I'm able to help people the answer is probably no 
because my life would have gone in a much different on a much different trajectory um because at that point you know um i think ad bruford became the manager within about 18 months of me leaving and he played every youngster that was around my age and then they got in the premier league and then you know i still had friends there i was going to visit them and seeing them and they're like yeah i got my new contract and it was like five to ten times the amount that i was on at the time so financially you're like oh my gosh these guys are set for life you know and and so at the time i was feeling a bit have i made the right decision but you know you live and die by the choices you make right so I made my choice. You live for it. You live by it, and you accept it. And how early into your permanent move to Swindon did the relationship with Andy King begin to break down? I would say I started to figure him out as soon as I started getting to know him every day, <laughs> <laughs> basically. Yeah. And you know, as a person, he was he was he was okay. He was he was you know he's a nice guy. You know, as a manager. He just didn't have what it took to make me a better player and to make me feel like I could be a better player. You know, I felt like I was always being picked on. You know, he was quite vocal about me in the papers. Um, and that kind of stuff is, I don't believe you do. You don't You don't leave your players out, hanging out to dry. You know, especially if you're not doing what is necessary to make them the best players they can be. Um, I'm I'm a firm believer of you look at yourself first. You don't look at other people. Um, the way I started playing better was to look at myself. You know, what am I not doing correctly? You know, and for me, it was, okay, at the point where we weren't doing really, really well, I had just had my son and I still lived in Watford. And you don't realise the, the, the impact of having a child, trying to be a good partner, trying to be a good professional, living too far away from your training ground. And you don't recognize those things until it starts unfolding in front of your face. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, not to mention the amount of time we were given off. And you think, as a young pro, you think, ah, oh, great, I've got time off. <laughs> so he'd give us days off for fun. And even though things weren't going well, he'd, he'd, he'd give us days off like when we were doing well. So... I remember being on loan and getting Monday off and Wednesday off and, and you know, Sunday off if we had a game on a Tuesday if we won. And that's all well and good when things are good. Um, but when things are, are not so good or if you're trying to start a new season and you're trying to establish, you know, the, your team in the, in the league, you have to start hard. You can't, you can't take it easy. And what I realised is our pre-season wasn't good enough. You know, our tactics weren't good enough. Fitness wasn't good enough. And based on that, you know, if you're not fit enough, then your talent will not shine. Does Does anybody pipe up at that? Does anyone go, this is really not how it should be? Mm, not at the time. No. At the time when he was giving me a Monday and Wednesday off, <laughs> I was like, I was like well, boy, at, at Watford, that never, ever happened. <laughs> so you're thinking... This is great. Is this the life? Like, because obviously now I'm in a, I'm in the first team all of the time. Um, so being in the first team squad, oh, and I noticed that when I was in the YTs and and trying to become a fully fledged first team player, you have to work ten times harder. When you get there, 
you know, they manage you a little bit better. You know, they try and make sure you're ready for the games and they, you're, you're, you're not, you're not stressing your body to the levels of when you're a reserve player or a YTS player. Um, obviously that's because they're preparing you for, they're over preparing you for the first team. Once you're there, it's about management and getting the best out of you. So some players need to rest a little bit more. Some people need to work a little bit more, but they ultimately try and manage each one individually as well as as a team. And so for, for myself, I just took the time off. I didn't know that it was, I didn't know that that was not necessarily a good thing. I better get back to my, get back to my missus, get back to my son. Cause I'm, I obviously I live, sometimes I could, I could have been on the motorway for two to three hours. So if I get that time to get home and spend, you know, time with my, my missus and my kid for a little while, then so be it. Yeah. So you kind of torn. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've talked to, I've talked to, quite a lot of players from the two Andy King eras. I've talked to Juan Cobian and Paul McAravey and I've talked to uh, I've talked to Grant Smith, I've talked to AD Vibash, Tommy Mooney, Sam Parkin, Andy Nicholas, mm. Brian Howard, Matt Hayward, Reese Evans of course. And they all talk of the the sort of you either were on you know, you were in King's sort of uh, cards Paul or, or you weren't and the, the divide in opinion and all of them even the ones that didn't have great experiences and Andy King do have stories where they met him after they were his manager or played under him I should say did you ever talk to Andy post Swindon not purposely I saw him at a game where my brother was playing for Tottenham in the reserves me and my dad went to go and watch him and then he was there and that was probably about I'm going to say probably about five or six years after I had, after he was my manager, maybe more. I'm not sure, you know, and I don't know. I had a lot of, I had a lot of pent up, you know, things that I would have said. Um, but I'm, I thought, you know what, the time's, time's gone. There's no point. So I didn't really say too much. I said hello and that was it. I'll keep it pleasant, you know, but you know, it is what it is. You know, we don't get on with everybody. I, I appreciate him for what he was able to do at the good points. Yeah. You know, and he's only human at the end of the day for the things that didn't help me. It's, it's not going to stop me from being a better person. You learn from people then they, when they send um, negative your way or if they don't know how to handle you, you learn. You know, but the biggest thing I realized about that is never think you're, you're just going to do something good. Mm-hmm without putting in the work. And that's what that's what it put into me in the rest of my career. You know, good or bad, put in the work. Because at that point where we thought we were going to do so well in the league, we lost the first eight games, I believe, um, or we didn't win a game in eight games, which is when he got um, the sack. Yeah. And our pre-season was a joke. Everything everything about that was a joke. It was just, Devin? Yeah, mate. It was just... The quality of the opponents we were playing, the the lack of fitness work, I've, that's the probably the easiest preseason I had in my life. And you don't realise until you get to the games and you think, "Well, I'm making mistakes for fun. Why? Because I'm tired and knackered. <laughs> you know, why am I so tired? Oh yeah, we only did one run for the whole of preseason. <laughs> you know, and I just think I just think at some at some point he just he just. Uh, um, I don't know. I just don't think he realised what what was needed to take 
that caliber of player and help them to stay at the the higher levels. Yeah, you know, it was, it was all good. He was quite a maverick footballer, wasn't he? So it was almost as if he was taking what he what he liked from like the seventies and eighties, and it just didn't translate in in the twenty first century. No, the the, the the modern game change changed, and you know that kind of lack of attention to fitness and and the details that you need for like tactics as a team. It, it doesn't just come just because we're all good footballers. It doesn't happen like that because we're all you know we all got some form of talent. Everyone's talented once you get to a certain level, and it's the ones that are willing to work. It's the ones that are willing to graft on their technique and all those little bits and pieces. You know, I had to learn it myself. You know, because there were certain things I wasn't doing, and I, that's what I say when it comes to about to myself. I realised, okay, um, one, I was very very an aggressive player, so not everyone is trying to take my career from me. Um, so you have to play with a calmness rather than fear. Um, other than that, work hard. You know, don't think you're going to be able to just turn up to you know to a football match and be your best when you haven't done enough to 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 warrant that type of thought process. You know, if I've done all the work, then I can say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do some damage here. You know, but if I haven't, people are gonna embarrass you. They're gonna make you. They're gonna you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna get exposed. You know, and that happens. You know, when mentally, if you're not right, or if physically, if you're not right, you can be exposed, and you're exposed in front of thousands of people. You know, and that's how people's opinions are made. On a on a slightly more jovial note, now, yeah, I've spoke to a lot of players from, especially the uh, two thousand three four, um, essentially the Sammy Parkin era, and you say that you had a good rapport with him, having travelled through um, from London with Steph Migliorenzi. Only one person has been able to give me a positive answer on this. So my question for you, Jarrell, is did you buy one of Sam Parkin's Christmas trees? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> one of his Christmas trees, I don't even know he had Christmas trees. Oh, apparently he was taking them in, uh, to the ground in his car over the years. Everybody else says no, except for Andy Nicholas, who, who, who did buy one. I don't know if he was sober enough to. <laughs> so, what what are your memories of this squad before we go to the sort of the gloomier uh, post King season and and then move on to Wise and Sturrock? That especially the two thousand three four era and those players that sort of stayed on. Lots of characters and 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 lots of stories. Yeah, I mean, I kind of removed myself from that because I still lived in Watford. Um. So my concerns were slightly different. You know, I was just trying to get home, spend time with my family. Um, so I didn't really get to to witness some of the stuff that was going on at that point. I just came, did my job, and then jumped on the motorway because I knew I might be on there for two hours. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really at that point have too many memories. Um <laughs> And the ones I do have, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, trust me, there's there's a few stories. You're listening to the Low Strangers podcast, proudly sponsored by the STFC official supporters club. 
Ify Anora is the next manager. I spoke to Ify for this podcast. He was absolutely amazing. Kind of not, kind of on a hide into nothing with this with this role at Swindon at this point though, wasn't it? Great opportunity, but perhaps at the wrong time. Yeah, I think he was. It was a sinking ship, and he tried to do his best with the with the knowledge he had. I think he was putting at the deep end. For me, he had no answers for me personally because I just don't feel he had the the experience, you know. And I was struggling myself, you know, with with confidence and belief. And I don't know. I just felt I, you know. Everyone kind of didn't know what they was doing in that in that aspect. Mm. You know, we didn't know how to get ourselves out of it. You know, and for someone to get their first job and and, and try and take over a relegation battle, that's hard, that's hard going. Yeah. You know, so you know, I don't think it was anything personal with him. I just think you know, like you said, it's it's not something that he would have been able to to kind of use experience to help younger players like myself. You know improve their performances, improve their fitness, you know, help with their confidence. I just don't think he had, had the tools at that point, you know. But, you know, nice guy. Nothing really... It was just... He couldn't, he, he couldn't do anything to, to stem the, uh, the negativity that was going on in terms of our performances. Yeah. In 2006, Dennis Wise and Gus Poirier arrive at Swindon. And there's a lot of back-to-basics mentality during this time. What what were your experiences of Dennis and Gus's short time at Swindon? Well, the initial the initial um, conversation he had with me was, everyone wants me to get rid of you. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, everyone, everyone on the board, all of them guys, he said, you know, whoever it is from up top thinks that we should just get rid. And he said, but I don't want to get rid of you yet because I've watched your videos. And he said, there's there's some fundamental flaws with your game, which is you're doing too much. You're, you're trying to, you're trying to help everyone else, but that's leaving you, you know, not able to help yourself. He says, so I just want you to do your job and not do anyone else's. So that was nice to hear at that point. Cause he said, I'm going to have a look at you in preseason and then I'll make my decision. And the one thing I respected about him was that he didn't listen to everyone else who had a negative view of me at that point. And he made up his own mind, right? And he and he watched my videos. He did his homework, you know, and looked at my game. And, you know, when someone's willing to watch your games, he's willing to pay attention and make up his own mind and then try and help you. That's, that's what you want in the game. That's what you want as a young player. You want someone to nurture you and help you to get through certain challenges because you're not a crap player. There's just times where things don't always go the way you want them to or you're not experienced enough and that's all it was you know there was times when you know there was I was doing midfield work I was doing the right backs work you know I was doing my other centre half work and he's like you need to stop doing that he said fair enough you do have the attributes to help people out (laughs) but (laughs) you need to stay here he basically told me stay here and don't do anything else because other people got to do their jobs and tactically that's what he worked on with us. Get back to basics. Do everyone do their jobs? It makes everyone else's job easier, you know. And and that's why we did so well with him at that point, you know. And everyone enjoyed training, you know. Everyone enjoyed, you know, them being around. Probably at that point, no one didn't enjoy training. Yeah. There wasn't anyone that didn't enjoy. And I and I still remember, you know, the integrity that he had, you know, even with someone like Aaron Brown, 
who put in a put in a transfer request at one point, you know, and he said to him, you know, if you put in a transfer request, you're going to be at the bottom of the park, you know, and if you don't get the move, you know, you're, you're not even going to be in a squad, you know, but if you look at further on down in the season, he still put him in the squad if he was able to work his way through and he worked his way through and he didn't hold no grudges. He put him in because he deserved to be in. And that's the type of men that I saw in the game, which I thought that's more like it. You know, I mean, you know, you don't hold grudges. Some people do things for whatever reason, you know, but if they're doing the job and they're doing the work, you know, they should get a fair crack of the whip, you know, but too many people in football take things personally, hold grudges, are willing to mess up people's careers and talk rubbish, you know, and that's, that's the kind of thing that I get, you know, annoyed at when I watch football and I've seen it throughout my whole career and even when I finish now I still see it you know when I watch my brothers and stuff like that so you know but my impression of Dennis Wise and Gus Poet was brilliant we love training man <laughs> every day you look forward to go training Ibiza is a whole lot different to Devon yeah it is <laughs> it, was, it was it was different it was it was a nice experience because not only did he train us well but he gave us our free time as well. So, you know, even though we were in Ibiza, we were thinking we ain't going to be able to go out. It's pre-season. And he was like, you, you can go out every night, but you'll be back by, um, I think it's 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock. You're in the hotel. If not, you know, obviously there's consequences to that. And no one wanted to see those consequences. So everyone listened. But you got a little bit of freedom to, to relax at the end of the day and then go training the next day. You bust your ass. It seems so typically Swindon town, really, that, good things end fairly quickly during this era and Dennis Wise goes Poirier and the goalkeeper coach uh, Beasley leave for Leeds United after only 15 games but town of third and only three points off the top position was their exit much of a surprise at the time yeah everyone was devastated I ain't gonna lie we were like what we're having the best time of our life and now he's gone (laughs) really you know, because then obviously you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know who's going to come in. We're doing well, you know, and it's a stark contrast to what happened the year before. Yeah. We were all fit. We were all happy. You know, everyone enjoyed training. We, it, it felt like a like a proper team. Everyone got on outside of outside of um, training. We were meeting up. We were we were all just f- almost like that like proper friends. That's how I would see it. We were proper friends. Like we weren't just going to training and leaving. You know, everyone, you know, the wives were getting involved, kids were getting involved. It just felt really, really nice and family orientated. You know, you get worried when you think that's going to stop, especially when you've only had it for 15 games, which amounts to about four months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and had you moved to Swindon at that point? Yeah, once. Um... Oh, no, actually, no. Had I? Um... What year was that? It's 2006. No, not yet. I so Paul Sturrock comes in and he has new and different ideas, but the promotion push is never really compromised. How did Sturrock differ to Wise? Um, Sturrock obviously was old school. Dennis Wise was new school. You know, so the, the training techniques were slightly different. Um, but both focused on tactics, which was good. Mm-hmm. Um when we was with Dennis Wise, we would train and then finish training and then we do tactics, which was a lot slower. But if we take a throw in from this place, so we get on an 11-a-side pitch, sorry, and then it's like, right, throw in from this place, where is everyone? Throw in from that place, where is everyone? Ball's here, where is everyone? And it was very slow and methodical. 
And then, you know, um, Paul Sturrock comes in. He has a different, you know, way of playing, but it's still worked on. Right, and the ball goes here, we're going to kick it over here. <laughs> if it's here, kick it into Rosette, you know. Um, different meth- uh, different tactical methods, um, but again, focus on fitness was still there. Um, it was more old school, running, 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 and that's less enjoyable, I suppose, than doing the five-a-side with the heart rate monitors and bits and pieces like that. Mm. But it, it, we were able to maintain and I think part of that was the fact that also he wanted us to maintain our, our team spirit. So there was, you know, um, karaoke nights on a Tuesday, you know, every so often, um, any form of team bonding, you know, even went to his house for barbecues and things like that. So he just managed to keep the team together and, and feeling like we were we were all together in in the in the journey for promotion. Was this your favourite Swindon season? Yeah. yeah, even because both both managers were able to keep the the team feeling a certain way. What about John Blackley then? So this is this is the an era where Swindon have a defensive coach. How did you find yeah. that? Yeah, he was like my uncle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he he would always say to me because he 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 say to me and he said, "What are you doing here?" He said, "What are you doing at this level?" I'm like, "Oh no, you tell me." You know, <laughs> he's like, "You should be playing up here." But you're down here, and I'm like, he's like, you know why you, you know why you're down here? It's because of those demons. <laughs> he said I had demons in my head, and I was like, okay, you know. But I was actually performing really well at that point, mm-hmm. so he hadn't seen me play badly in in that aspect. He'd seen me, you know. Sometimes I get a bit crazy on the pitch and that, um, but he hadn't seen a a, a, a bad play in Jarrell Eiffel, so to speak. So I would been I had been one of the top performers that year, um, so. You know, even when I was injured, they wanted me to play, you know, but he he relied on me on the pitch to make sure I could get the team out of trouble. And so he would work with me and and talk with me and stuff. And to be honest, I really, really got on well with him um, because he was just always trying to improve me as a player. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it was good. You could tell we were more organised. We didn't concede as much. I think I think we have that record since then, since pre-war of the least goals conceded or something like that. I can't remember. There was a record we had at some point. Sure. But we had some form of defensive record that year, um, which was really, really good. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that and I liked the focus. Yeah. And you finally got a couple of goals in this season as well. We'll talk about the first one because your first goal was away at Crystal Palace in the FA Cup. How much does it mean to you? You're being honest? Nothing. (laughs) 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 Because I'm a defender. If I can pop up with a few goals here and there, fair enough. But clean sheets were my thing, man. So I just like clean sheets because it don't matter how many you score, you concede. And, you know, and again, it goes back to the way I was treated as a player. Anytime a mistake happens, it's your fault. It's mm-hmm. So I could score, but no one judges you on scoring goals. I ain't a striker. Yeah. You know, I ain't going to get paid more for scoring goals either. You know, I didn't put it in my contract. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, so I wasn't really that bothered about the FA Cup goal because I think I don't think it really had much bearing um, on on the result no, or anything really like that. So it didn't really make any difference because we lost. I think we lost. Did it? Yeah, we lost. Yeah, yeah I think. Yeah, I think we lost. Even... So when you lose and you score and you're a defender, it's kind of rubs it clean in it. <laughs> so... Well, I mean, you've you've kind of indicated it there, but. I think at this stage, you are a fan favourite. 
you know, I think it's it's all about effort with fans. That's all they really want to see, and we always got that from Jarrell Eiffel. And right at the end, you score essentially the goal that puts the P by Swindon's name at the end of the season. That bullet header against Walsall. Sure, they equalised late on and win the championship, but we wouldn't, we just needed that point. That was the only thing, and it was very satisfying to see that goal. Yeah, that's. I still have that picture up in my gym. You know, it's um, it, it was a great moment in that sense because it meant so much to score. You know, so if you look at one end, if I score a goal and we lose. I'm not really bothered. Mm. You can't really kind of reflect on it like that. And and strikers can, you know, like you can lose and go, well, I still scored, you know, because it's not really their job to to defend, you know, even though we defend as, as a team, so to speak, if a, if you lose 3-0 and the striker scores two goals, he's kind of had a good game, you know. Mm. Whereas for me, if I would score one and then we lose 2-1, I still feel like I've had a bad game, you know. But in that game, to score that goal, for it to mean what it meant, and the feel of the club at the time, you know, the the the, the feel of the club um, between the players and the fans. You know, I honestly don't believe there's been another year where the fans and the players felt as together as that year, personally for me. You know, even living in Swindon now and watching, you know, watching the games and seeing something, well, not watching the games, watching the games from, the, um, from like Instagram and um, Twitter and reading these things on Facebook. I don't feel that feel. I don't know if that's because of, you know, the way it's, the, the club is run now with Lee Power. I think there's just a, I don't know. At that point, the club just felt really, really together, yeah. fans and players. Whereas now there seems to be a bit of a divide because of, you know, whether it's the chairman, you know, whether it's the way the club is, you know, it seems like more of a, more of a, when good, good things are there, we get rid of them. <laughs> you know good players and managers and bits and pieces like that I'm not sure but there just seems to be a little bit of bite between mm. fans and not so much players but fans and the people above yeah I would say that it's we're getting there I would I would definitely agree with with what you're saying I would say currently um, it's as good as it's been for a long, long time. Maybe, you know, I mean, success always brings a few smiles on faces, but I definitely agree that we're something about that summer of 2007 where things, if, if, if after a few years of torrid sort of behind the scenes stuff, it just felt like a new dawn, didn't it, that, that summer? Yeah, it just felt really, really good. Yeah. It felt good to walk around the town. It felt good to, to step out on the pitch. It felt good. Everything about that part of, of excuse me, about my career, just felt really, really positive, mm. you know. And I can, you know, I can attribute that to me finding my faith that same year, you know, playing well that same year. Um, my missus became pregnant with my daughter that year. Mm-hmm. You know? So there was lots of different things. And, and it, it just for me personally, as a, as a man, a lot of things went really, really well that year. Yeah. It's 4-1. Matt Hewlett defending was awful absolutely awful
Well, for Swindon, like all things, they change pretty dramatically. The following season, Paul Sturrock's prep for the season is disrupted by the possibility of a takeover by a Portuguese-led consortium called Best Holdings. Uh, it looks yep. like it's going through, and there's a chairman designate called Jim Little, and Jose Vega's there, and Rufus Brevitt's there. They're attending games. There's a few random names emerged, like Ibon Arietta and Mario Almeida, who's literally announced when a team sheet comes out. Times were tough there and then, um, and then the fan protests arrived with the orange hats. What do you remember of that time? Just a shame, really, in that sense, because it just felt like we were going backwards again. Yeah. Um, you know, despite you know, doing good things despite everything um, feeling good. Things behind the scenes started to just unravel. When you start seeing people coming to training, you're thinking, what the hell are they doing it? You know, and then you're hearing little bits and pieces and you're thinking, okay, is the club struggling again? Is this what's happening? You know what I mean? Mm. But you're a player. You're not, you're not really there to pay attention to that stuff. Hopefully the people that know what they're doing know what they're doing. um, you kind of leave it to them I I, I try not to get involved in the things that I can't control you know so if it starts to affect me then maybe but at that point I'm feeling quite good about myself if I'm kind of feeling quite good I signed a new deal Um, and I felt valued so whatever was happening was happening I felt like I was in a good place Mm. so I couldn't really complain Something from that season that I've got to, got to ask if you remember, and that's of course the game against Bristol Rovers, where the referee Rob Styles seemingly lost his mind and sent off four players in the last ten minutes. Do you remember that game? Oh, I re- I remember it because I had to go to Soho Square for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you had to re- you had to report for it, did you? I had to. I tried to appeal my my red card. Yeah, um, because the referee didn't even see what happened. So. Obviously, that was a great game, by the way. The yeah, atmosphere, brilliant. And it was one of those, it was a typical derby. And um, I, I can't remember who I was playing against, the striker. Um, Ricky Lambert, maybe? La- no, it wasn't Lambert. It was one that played next to him. Oh, yeah. um, but I was trying to step up to play the offside. Yeah. And he kept on locking me from playing the offside. So he was just standing. And, and I was doing it quite casually because I think Sophie and Zabub had the ball up on the left-hand side. So... It, it was the game was happening in the final third of their pitch, and I'm casually just trying to step up and, and put him in an offside position. I'm not putting any force on it. I'm trying to go around him, and he's just blocking me. And I'm like, "What are you doing? Like the game's going on up there. There's no need for you to even touch me." But he did it twice, and so I thought, "All right, the next time I'm putting you on the floor." So I ran past him and kind of just barged into him to get past him, um, but he fell over. And as he's fallen over, he's pulled me on top of him, and it weren't nothing. It was just me and him having a little bit of um, uh, a bit of a duel to see who could get the better physically to to play for me to play the offside and for him to stop me playing the offside. It wasn't really malicious in that sense. Yeah. So it was just me and him having a little bit of a, a little personal battle. <laughs> but when he fell over, because I don't think he expected to fall over, he pulled my arm and he's pulled it to his chest. And I'm thinking, what are you holding my arm for? So I've just pulled my arm off, like, with a bit of force. But if anyone catches it, catches what I'm doing at that point, it looks like I've punched him. And so he gets up, I get up, and we're laughing because <laughs> we're thinking, oh, that's a bit silly. Um, and then we look to the side and we see the liner's got his bloody flag up. And we're like, what's he got his flag up for? 
And we were we didn't think it would have been because of us, you know, because we were both having a bit of a laugh about it. And then he comes over and sends me off, and I've <laughs> lost my. Now I'm like, what are you sending me off for? <laughs> Nothing even happened. So I've said to him, I'm like, I'm, well, to be fair, I'm now getting angry because I realise I'm coming off the pitch and it is a good game, plus it's a close game. Mm. And, I'm, and I'm saying to him, what are you sending me off for? Like, just let me know what you're sending me off for because nothing happened. And he's like, I don't want to hear it. Do not speak. Just get off the pitch. And that arrogant tone that he had made me lose my mind. I was just like, I was like effing and blinding at him. I'm like, the F are you sending me off for, you effing brick? <laughs> and then Lee Peacock has to pull me away and go, look, just go, man. And I'm like, I don't even know why I'm being sent off. I'll get it set off. <laughs> I don't even know why. <laughs> so then he sends off the striker and the striker's like, what are you sending me off <laughs> So I'm like, all right, cool. At least he's getting sent off at the same time. So it's at least 10 men each. And then, what, about five minutes later, Sofian comes in. I'm like, what's happened to you? He's <laughs> <laughs> like, he said, you like, It was crazy, man. It was so, but it was, it was funny. Yeah. But I looked, at the, I looked at the video and I was like, surely I can't be getting sent off. So I said I wanted to appeal it. So I said to the gaffer, I said, look, I want to appeal it because I don't think that's fair. So I had a hearing at Soho Square. The, the camera angle wasn't good enough. Um, to see what happened. If it was closer to the opposite stand, then it would have been a better angle. But all you can see is me and him fall, and then I get up. And then um, what he, what what they said um, at Soho Square was that my reputation for being sent off in prior years <laughs> doesn't lead them to believe that I wasn't trying to do something bad. So therefore they're not going to give me the benefit of doubt. Oh. And therefore, they fined me and gave me an extra game ban. Unbelievable. Now, footage and so forth would probably give the benefit of the doubt, surely. Or do you think that's what they still would go with now? No, nah, no, nah, I would have been the benefit of doubt. It was it was just nothing. Yeah. Like, me and him, just, he didn't get hurt. I didn't get hurt. We weren't trying to be malicious. We were just trying to play tactically. He, I'm trying to play offside. He's trying to stop me. It wasn't, you know, I could tell he wasn't trying to hurt me or anything. It was just mm-hmm. me trying to get past him and him trying to stop me. There was nothing in it whatsoever, hence why we were kind of laughing. We were having a good battle, to be fair. Yeah. And so we were enjoying the game. Like When you have a good battle yeah. you know, as a defender, you enjoy the game, and it's not you know, to, to feel bad against a striker. You're having a good game. Mm. It, it was nice. Who was your best battles against? Uh-huh. So, yeah, Nathan Tyson, that was always a good game. Bayouac and Fenwar was a good one when he was at Swansea. Mm. Um... I had some good battles. So obviously Leroy Lita was one of them mm-hmm. and he went on to do good things. To be fair, Lambert was always good. Yeah. Uh, always a threat. Oh, and um, the one that was at MK Dons. Ezell McCloyd? McCloyd, yeah. yeah. Him as well. We always had some good games. Powell Abbott, even though he got me sent off. So yeah, so there was a few. There was quite a few handy strikers at that level at that point. So yeah. it was always good. Yeah, I, I certainly remember there was, I mean, obviously because we had Sam Parkin as well, it was a real renaissance sort of period for, uh, for forwards yeah. in League One to progress into the championship at a minimum, wasn't there? Yeah, it was good quality strikers at that point. Mm. Really. Yeah. So what was the feeling when Storrock walked and obviously took away John Blackley and, uh, and Summerfield as well? It's a disappointment, isn't it, really? Yeah. You get to know people, you know it works. And then and then they leave, but that's the nature of football. So you just have to get on with it. So you know, I think I had quite a few managers at Swindon at that <laughs> point. 
you start getting used to it, it's like a revolving door. You're like, oh, bloody hell. Yeah. No one's going to stay. I was a big fan of Sturrock and it did feel like he was... We appointed him so quickly after he left Sheffield Wednesday. It felt like a mercenary signing. And then, of course, Plymouth come up. He was always going to go back to Plymouth. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, he did what was best for him. And, you know, we ended up with who? Malpass? Yeah, Morris Malpass. What do you remember of Morris? Just just misery. That's all I Misery. Never met such a miserable person in my life. Just miserable. <laughs> just me. that's my that's my recollection he may be better with other people but I used to just go in and go does this guy ever smile <laughs> does he ever smile it, it's funny it it's funny because you're the only one that's of all the people I've spoke to from the Malpass era you're the only one that can get an opinion because some of the guys just go I can't remember anything about the Malpass era yeah I, do you know what it was and, and it was a funny thing he he, when he first come, I was like, okay, I, I want to talk to managers and try and get to know them, and you know, because I think that's best, mm. you know. So we were having a chat, and he seems all right. And um, he said, "Oh, do you know AC Milan practice tactics every day?" And in my mind, I'm thinking, "Good, he's going to make us do tactics because obviously I know it worked well with um, Starrick, and it worked well with, um, especially in detail with." Um, Dennis Wise because he paid a lot of attention to to to, to tactics and where we were and, and that worked so well and you realise why it's important to to look at your games and make sure everyone knows what they're doing so yeah, yeah I'm, I'm getting excited I'm thinking he's thinking the same thing you know <laughs> he goes yeah he goes AC Milan do this do tactics all of the time he said but you guys can't handle that, so we're not going to do it. <laughs> what? what do you mean we can't handle it, so we're not going to do it? He didn't even ask. Like, he just, if you're the manager and you think we need tactics, do it. You know? But he just he just made the comment and then just went, we're not going to do that. And bearing in mind, we did do some tactics, but nowhere near enough for a new manager and to implement his style and whatever it was. So it was just, it was just, Really, really funny. You know, I remember Patrick Kanuka asking him. <laughs> Patrick Kanuka said that in pre-season. He said, "What, what style of, what type of team are we? What style of football are we going to play? Are we a long ball team or are we a, are we a, um, a play out the back kind of team?" And everyone kind of thought that's actually a good question because we actually didn't know. <laughs> and yeah, he went, he went, well, whatever style that comes to mind, you know. And we're like, that's not even an answer, like. <laughs> Oh, what are we? What? And that's why, if you what if you remember that part of our our, our um that part of our well of when I was playing, if you remember that era with, with Malpass, it, it was always confused. Like yeah. we kicked the ball up, everyone would get up, and we played the ball out, everyone would get up, and we would just congest space, and because no one knew what we wanted. Like you'd have Budge on the sideline, you know, telling everyone to get up, and they're like, get up, get up, and you're running up, and you're like, <laughs> surely we don't want to congest the space. But he's like, nah. and then we'd lose the ball in midfield. But because we're so close to the midfield, would be our position. And we're like, this just feels weird. It feels like we don't know what we're doing, what's happening. And yet no one's trying to fix it from a tactical point of view. They're just saying, you know, kick the ball up or play the ball forward and everyone get up. And, and it, was just, it was just hilarious. He was just like, oh my gosh, this is just night and day from what we were doing to what we're doing now. 
you know. So it is what it is. You know, <laughs> he was a he was a new manager. Has he managed since? I don't know. No, he went straight back to working with Terry Butcher, I think, up north. Um, I got to say though, Jarrell, that's one of the best budgie impressions I've heard. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, He's a character. He is a character and he gave me a very popular episode and he was brilliant with his time. And that's a guy who really, really loved Swindon during his spell, wasn't it? He he did during his spell. But again, you know, it's it's a thing of, I don't know. I, I kind of, I never had any real issue with him um, in a sense. Um, always seemed quite nice to me. Mm-hmm. Again, how are you improving me? No, not really. If you if you don't improve me, you know, as a footballer and you're the assistant manager or you're the manager, it's hard to it's hard to to respect in that sense the job that they're doing. You know, so it's all well and good expecting things from players, yeah. you know, but it's it's how do you get your players to perform? You know, you can't just think it's one size fits all. Yeah. It isn't, you know, and Everyone is different. Everyone needs a different style of, of, of coaching. And one size fits all, don't fit. And the higher up you go, the less it works. Um, and I've, I've noticed that I've played at almost every level, you know, barring the top. Yeah. And it, um, it's quite apparent that, that managers need to understand player psychology. They need to understand how to get the best out of their players you know, whatever they need. Yeah, and I mean, this is a sweeping conversation about your Swindon career because you were at Swindon for so long. You're one of only a handful of players this side of the century that have played over 200 times for Swindon. I don't think anyone started more games than you for Swindon. So we're already at the Danny Wilson phase now. He comes in and you were even made captain at one stage, weren't you? I mean, I came in, I was, you know, he came in also, and his first thing was, "Why are you playing this way?" <laughs> I was like, "I was like, uh, so he even went back to basic, you know, you know, the because we got in the habit with Malpass and Budge of kicking the ball forward and moving forward immediately. He then took us on the pitch and he was like, "Everyone, just calm down. Don't kick the ball forward or or pass the ball into midfield and then congest the space that that the midfielders need to move." These are basics, and when you you don't want to you don't want to speak to a, to managers in a way like they don't know what they're doing. So you allow them to do what they're doing, and you follow orders. Otherwise, you end up out of the team, mm-hmm. right? You know, and going back to that era, you know, I didn't play for for Malpass for a little while, you know, and the defense wasn't doing well, you know, and even when I remember, which I thank the fans for, I was doing warm ups, and that's the only time they would cheer is <laughs> when I got up. <laughs> to do the warm-up, you know, and that made me feel good at that point, you know, and then finally I get back on the pitch and, you know, it just feels like any mistake I make, he'll take me off the pitch again, you know, and that was because there was fundamental issues with our tactics Mm. that weren't sorted out. And then Danny Danny Wilson comes in and, and sorts them out and I'm thinking, this guy knows what he's doing, you know, but again... I didn't get enough time with him to prove myself. Yeah. Um, he made me captain, but he also brought in Gordon Greer at the time. Yeah. And me and Gordon played really well together. Um, 
and I carried him while he was building his fitness. I was carrying him because he would hadn't played for a little while. He'd come back from some form of injury or whatever. And he would always come up and go, oh, thanks for that, man. You got me out of trouble quite a few times. By the way, I'm like, it's not a problem. We're a team. You know what I mean? That's what's supposed to happen. But I knew that that was the gaffer's player. I've been there for, you know, four or five years now. And the gaffer's brought in a player that he likes. And he's a quality player. And so, therefore, I know I'm starting to fall down the pecking order just based on being in too long. You know, I'm starting to feel like part of the woodwork, but not part of what the, the gaffer has in his plans. Yeah. Um, but either way, that pre-season, um, obviously he came in midway through, but then he had the pre-season. Um, I felt like I was playing really, really well. I thought I'd get a start. Um, but didn't get the start for the initial start of the season. They lost, I think, 6-1 or some crap like that. 5-0 Gillingham, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, 5-0 Gillingham. Mm. Um, and I thought, you know what, I'm a shoo-in to start the next game because I've been smashing up pre-season. Um, even the assistant manager said, oh, you were really unlucky not to start, you know, the start of the season. Um, he said, but I'll keep your head up. But yeah, before that game, then I, um, they got approached by Aberdeen. Um, to see if I would want to go down there. Danny Wilson approached me and said, look, he said, I don't want you to go. He said, I think you'll be, you know, I don't like, this isn't got nothing to do with your performances or anything. He says, I think this could be a, a, a good career move um, because if you go to Aberdeen, you do well, you could end up coming back and maybe playing in the championship, you know? Mm-hmm. And so he said, I think, you know, you'll get more money. Um, I think it's a good move. It's high profile. He said, so go, go on the trial game to Hull. He said, if you don't like it, come back, carry on as normal. You'll probably play the next game. He said, if you like it, you know, we're not going to get in your way. Um, and then by, by the end of the Gillingham game, I was on my way to home. And that's how quickly it happened. It happened like literally like a flash. Like one minute I was here, next minute I was gone. Didn't really get to say bye to anyone because of the nature of what was happening. They were playing Celtic on a Saturday on Sky Sports. Um, they wanted to sign me ASAP, which meant I had to go up there and train. My wife had to do all of the moving um, while I was up in Scotland, you know, and it just it was just a flash, you know, it was a flash. Goodwin loses out. He's onside. And this time it's five. And this time... Eric Seven doesn't miss. I remember the reaction because we followed it because we as football fans online, obviously, it was it came as quite a surprise to us because you're in the team photo, you you're, mm. you're, you're, you're like you say, you're featuring preseason, and then suddenly you're. I think we find out because you announced it was Dean Windass's testimonial, I think, and you're yeah. and you're announcing yeah. the squad, and we're like, oh bloody out, and the most sort of not concerning, but sort of sad part from our fans, because like you said, you're part of the furniture, is that you have a very good game, don't you? Yeah, I am. To be fair, Harlech just just got relegated from the Premier League and all of their top players were playing. I done really well. Mm. Um, I was matching, you know, I was matching, you know, toe-to-toe with ex-Premier League footballers. And so, therefore, it became a thing where the fans in Aberdeen, they were screaming, sign him up, sign him up. And they were like, yeah, we're going to sign you. <laughs> and I was like, okay, is it this quick? Like, you know, so 
phoned my agent, my agent saying like, what do you want to do? I said, I need to speak to my wife because I'm not going to be <laughs> moving all the way to Scotland without my kids and my missus because they could have stayed down and I could have just done the trips and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I said to her, no, I need my kids and my wife in the same house as me every day. On the on the Aberdeen front, because you said you've moved, you're moving your family up there. And Aberdeen's a massive club. It just doesn't work out for you up there, does it? Um, the first, the first year, um, the first half of the season goes really well defensively. We've got one of the best defenses in the in the league. The the nature of how I got up there was because there was an injury to one of their most popular players. Mm. Um, so they needed someone to come and fill in, so to speak. The when things started to go um, downhill was when he came back to fitness. And when he came back to fitness, it just seemed like any game I had, he must have been knocking on the door saying, look, they're not doing as well. Yeah. And then they're looking at me going, well, you know, you've got a lot of pressure on you because he wants to play. And so it just felt like, again, it felt like anything I do, it was a time to, you know, capitalise on that and take me out of the team. Um, so it doesn't go well because, if I'm being honest, I moved my whole family up to Scotland, Right. Mark McGee didn't move any of his family from Brighton. He went all the way to Scotland and left his family in Brighton, which is a long way to go yeah. <laughs> to yeah. get back to your family. So he made, he made again, allowances on the squad so that he could go and do what he wanted to do. And so therefore we'd finish training early. You know, we're not doing the tactics as we should. Um, it just seems a bit loose. Um, Scott Leach... Um, again live from Edinburgh living in a hotel and these, these these commitments of being you know leading a team you have to show you're committed and if you're not committed it's obvious you know when you're coming in you know you know some people are coming intoxicated not naming anybody <laughs> um, and then it's quite obvious and the squad are like what the hell have these guys been doing thought they were supposed to be uh, our leaders <laughs> you know <laughs> and it just didn't work out mm. you know I didn't get on with Scott Leach at all um it was just one of those things you know we just we did we couldn't see eye to eye um and like I said it just felt like there were there was a point where I got pretty much I got knocked out in one of the games and absolutely no sympathy the next day about me playing the rest of the game 70 minutes concussed wow. um and they kind of just brushed it off like, oh, you know, it's nothing big. And I'm like, okay, when my centre-half comes off, who was with me at the time, comes off because he's feeling sick. You know, it, it was just little things like that. And I, was, I thought, you know what, this is not good. No. You know, And the, the icing on the cake was, I again, I'm, I, I'm a stats person. I like to look at my stats and make sure I'm pulling my own weight first and foremost. So if I come out of the team, I will always look at my statistics. And so, like I said at the beginning, we had one of the best defensive records in the in the league. So I went to the manager and I said to him, <laughs> I said, look, I've done my stats. I've looked at my performances and I've also looked at when I'm not playing. And it seems like with you, uh, well, not with you, but with the team, we can see twice the amount of goals when I'm not playing. Um, so it's either we can see twice the amount of goals or we can see the same amount of goals in half the time. That's the way. That's the way the stats show it for me. Mm. And I showed him the stats that I'd written down because I watched all my games, went over them. I looked at possession, you know, um, 
tackles that I had won, tackles that I went for that I missed, headers won, headers lost, pass completion. I looked at everything um, and I showed it all to him. And I said, Gaffer, you are better off with this team, with me and the team. This team is better off with me in it. And the statistics prove it. And he said to me, well, you know, Joel, statistics don't really matter. (laughs) (laughs) But I was like, what? How does statistics not matter? You know, and and when someone can say that to you, you know there's something going on. Um, Whether it's personal, whatever, I'm not, I don't really, you know, I've I've finished playing now, so I'm not really fussed. You know, it is a thing where if people have something against you, they will keep it against you. And it doesn't matter what you do. You know, and I and I showed him the stats. I told I phoned my agent. I said, Cyril, <laughs> I said, I've come to him with with the statistics that the team is better off with me in it. And he he told me statistics don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> and Cyril just went, I've got to get you out of there, mate. <laughs> he said it's not good for you to be there. I've got to get you out. No. You know, and then they tried to get rid of me after the first season. Um, but no one could afford my wages because obviously they put me on quite good wages when I left. Again, I worked my ass off in the in the in the off season. I go back less body fat, fitter than ever. One looking at me like, what the hell have you been doing? I said, well, I said, I ain't in a good position at the moment, so I've got to make sure I'm in in, in good shape because I want to play. But if if I'm not ready for whatever opportunities come, then they'll use it against me, innit? Yeah. So. I made sure I, I didn't. I left no stone unturned. I had a personal trainer throughout the whole of the off season. I was practicing, you know, of taking balls and, and bits and pieces and going to the training ground, and um, and just practicing technique, making sure I was just right. And then we go on, to, we go on tour to Germany. We play against a, a couple of Bundesliga teams, and I do really well. And all my teammates are like, "You've got to be starting the season because you're on fire." And I was like, nah, I ain't starting the season. The guy don't like me, innit? <laughs> he don't like me. I wait as a formality that he's just playing me every so often. Yeah. Um, then he pulls me in. He pulls me in the, the day before the game on the Friday, before the beginning of the season. He goes, um, Jarrell, he said, um, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna start you on Saturday. Okay. I wasn't expecting it. I was like, okay. He said, but you've got to understand one thing. He said, you can be a liability, you can. And I was like, what? So you, you've got three other centre-halves that are not liabilities in your eyes and you're going to play me instead. Uh, you know what? All right, fine, I'll play. And um, I come out of the room and um, Paul Hartley's the captain and he's like, oh, are you starting, big man? And I say, yeah, yeah, I'm starting. He's like, but he's like, why is your face like that? I said, he's just told me I'm starting. But he told me I'm a liability. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? How am I supposed to perform knowing you think I'm a liability, <laughs> but you're going to start me ahead of all the centre-halves that are in the squad, um, barring the one that plays next to me? And I thought, this is a joke. Um, and then, you know, the right was on the wall. He, you know, he got sacked after, after a few games. Mm. Um, Craig Brown comes in as the manager. And I'm tired. I'm just like, I've moved all this way and it's not gone the way I wanted. I'm missing my mom, my dad. My kids are not seeing their grandparents. My wife's not seeing her parents. I was like, I need to get out of here. Um, So I spoke to Craig Brown and he said, look, he said, you're a very, very good pro. He said, I like the way you are. I like your personality. He said, but if you want to go, he said, I'm not going to hold you back. He said, I'll pay up all of your contract. I'm not going to hold anything away from you. 
he said just go back and you know try and you know try and get your career back on track in in England and I respected that about him I, I appreciated that you know he he noticed in the short period that he had me he noticed that I was trying hard I was doing all the the best I could to be the best pro that I could be yeah. you know but I'd had enough that by that time mentally yeah I was going to say so post Aberdeen you have a brief spell at Bristol Rovers and before playing alongside your brother at Kettering and I gotta be honest I didn't see Gateshead and I went to see Gateshead once and the reason for that was Jarrell Eiffel was was going to be playing (laughs) so I pay pilgrimage and I went to a terrible I think it was 1-1 draw Leon McKenzie scored for Kettering I believe and this is Kettering when it's it's they had a bit of a reputation they're in the National League as it is now but loads of issues behind the scenes and I remember and I've got to be honest so I always try and be as honest as I can it was kind of a sad sight seeing you guys there and because only two years before you were first team at Swindon and and it just seems such a shame was it injuries was it just falling out of love with the game as they say what happened no, so basically, I went. Obviously, I went to Bristol Rovers. Um, played against my brother um, for the first time ever. He was at Dagenham and Redbridge. Yeah. Um, he weren't having a great time with his career. I wasn't having a great time with mine. Um, I got sent off in that game. Um, Bristol Rovers against Dagenham and Redbridge after twenty minutes. First time I've ever played against my brother in my whole life, and I get sent off after twenty minutes. So that was hilarious. The season ends. They don't. They don't renew my contract because Dave Penny, who brought me there, got the sack while I was there mm-hmm. after about two or three games. Which I was hoping that if if he stayed, that I would be able to have another contract. Um, but the problem was, I was on big wages at the time, and you can tell that at that point, clubs in England didn't have the money to to pay my type of wages. Um, so I get a phone call from my brother um, while I'm still trying to find a club. And he's like, oh, Jay, I'm at Kettering. And it's, it's good. All the players are from the league. The chairman's putting us on the same kind of wages that we were on in the league. He's just trying to get us in the league from the conference. He said, come down, have a look. So I go down and the atmosphere is brilliant. Like, all the, like there's players that I knew from like my youth. And I was like, this is a nice atmosphere. We feel It feels like a nice team. And we start off. And <laughs> it was just a shambles. <laughs> it, like he, he made us sign, he made all of us sign these really, really good contracts and he could not afford to pay them. And that was, that was the problem. That's what happened with that is that he, he, the, the chairman, um, Imran Ladakh, yeah. um, he, he sold us all promises of good pay, good quality football, um, will be looked after. We're trying to move forward. We're a progressive team. And then I think I only got paid once. <laughs> I signed a two-year deal and I got paid once. And we were doing we did well in the first game. And like I said, it was the Gateshead game where I knew some something's gone, something's not going right. So um I drive from Swindon to, to Kettering. And and you can see the changing room door the players entrance from the from the, the the road that pulls up so i'm looking and i see a minibus and i'm like that can't be ours because we've got a three-hour journey ahead you know it's gateshead um and i can see the manager shaking his head he's on the phone <laughs> so 
I get there, my brother's there. He's like, Jay, we're gonna we're going on this minibus to Gateshead. And I was like, No, we ain't. The guy said, like, Imran said we were gonna travel by coach. You know, the coach probably ain't here yet. Because <laughs> nope. So this is a this is a I think a, uh, must be a, no more than a 17, 18 seater minibus. And he has crammed two skips of kit and all of the all of the squad on this minibus. And everyone is fuming. Like, what the F is going on here? Like, what's going on? Like, and then obviously we're like, well, none of us really want to play based on that. But we're professional, so we do we we do it. We we, we actually draw one one after being in a minibus <laughs> for three hours. And it's not like we're getting good treatment. We're getting like, you know, we're not going to the best hotels or anything like that. We're literally just getting to the game. So we're literally coming out of, uh, like, my legs were mashed. My back was mashed. Everything, like, I'm so tight because I'm tall and I'm sitting in this this minibus. And um, I'm like, let's just do what we can to, to get a result. And we draw 1-1, one, one, which everyone was like, wow, I can't believe we drew 1-1. One, one. <laughs> Because no one was in the mood to play. And then the chairman had the balls to, to phone up afterwards and go, oh, there was a mix-up with the coaches. What do you want us to do? you want me to send some stretch limousines to, to, to bring you back? He was like, no, just bring a coach for the next game. Simple. You know, all we need is a coach for the next game. And then, yeah, it was a shame, to be honest. I think that was a bad move on my part. I could have signed for Newport County um, at that point, and I didn't. And it just one of them things. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes you make choices and you, you regret them. Others, you, you look back and you go, yeah, based on what I have now, I wouldn't change it. No, absolutely not. And I guess this is where you start to sort of focus your attentions on. I mean, you have a, a long non-league career, of course, because there's um, three spells at Sutton and Boreham, but you have a good few, a couple of seasons at Staines Town. Um, but this is where you realign to, to your personal fitness sort of career. Um, yeah, I realised when I didn't stop when I stopped getting paid by Kettering, um, it was a thing of I've never had financial issues before. If you know what I mean, like yeah. I always got paid on time. I never really saw that aspect of it throughout my whole career. So when that happened, it it, it made me realise I can't rely on I can't rely on football anymore. Mm. So I need to do something for myself. Um, so I met up with um, a guy, Stuart. Stuart Gavram, who runs T2 Fitness. He, I say to him, look, I need to earn money and I need to do it quick. So can I do my PT course um, as quick as possible? Um, and in that time, I start playing for Stains. So I'm earning money from Stains. Plus, I'm using my reputation to kind of become a personal trainer. Um, and it goes quite well. You know, I get results. Um, I'm, I'm finding my feet in a different type of just a different type of lifestyle, I suppose, you know, going from playing football day in and day out to, you know, personal training and then playing semi-pro football. But semi-pro football is hard, mm. um, especially when you play at a higher level. Um, I believe semi-professional is kind of like a contradiction in itself. You know, it's, it's hard to be a professional half of the time because yeah. then not really professional. <laughs> so, I think that's spot on. I think that, you yeah. know. So the expectation level at semi pro is quite high, but the the reward is very low. Um, and so, I use my reputation to get 
the pay that I believe I'm worth for that level, and I get it. Um, but I just don't. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy playing with. Um, I didn't enjoy the management styles. Yeah. Um, and and based on my experience, I've seen a lot of bad managers and not many good. Um, and I can count on one hand the good managers I've had, and I can count on both hands <laughs> the, the bad ones. And and that helps you to realise what what young players need. And being an older player and watching managers treat young players poorly, I don't like. And that was a, a thing with me and that was a thing with me and Marcus Gale. You know, I didn't appreciate his management style. Um, it was too aggressive. It was too. It was too demeaning. And so therefore, you know, we fell out. He fired me. You know, I wrote a letter to the chairman. He ended up not in that job the day after. Um, things happen. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what it is. I, I try and protect things that I feel need protecting. You know, and I felt like the young players there needed protecting. Um, and it's kind of led me to what I do now. You know, what I do now is, is help children. You know, as best as I can, and that's how I start the business um, that I do now. Um, so personal training is kind of like taking a sidestep, um, and I mentor I mentor children um, who are not in mainstream school or at, or at threat of leaving mainstream school. Yeah, um, and that's what I've been doing for the last nine, eight to nine years. So yeah, and that's and and that's what it was for me. I started um, I, I started learning. I did a two-year course to become a te- uh, to become a teacher in further education yeah. on personal sport and, and um, personal development. Sorry, sport and personal development. And then I'm at the, currently I'm in my fourth year of doing my psychology degree as well, plus a, a few other bits and pieces that I've studied just to understand the mind. Um, and my career has helped me to understand what the mind is capable of doing in adversity as well as what it does when we when you succeed and just helping people that may not have a talent or a direction at this moment in time um, and just trying to help them stay on a on a good path that's incredible yeah amazing a little bit of space for frank mcavetti away from parker not from bruce though nyholt with a shot took a deflection he did luke nyholt has equalized for swindon town and bottom of the table they may be, but they are made of stern stuff. To close, yeah. what were your happiest memories of playing for Swindon? Happiest memories, um, my first three loan spells were obviously the, the entry and then leading me to sign and then obviously getting the, 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 the goal um, to secure promotion the best memory because <laughs> you know it, it that lives with me and that's that's probably the reason why I live in Swindon now yeah you know so you know it it converted me from a London boy to a to a Swindonian <laughs> <laughs> and who were your closest friends during your Swindon career got to be Jack Smith and Phil Smith and Anthony McNamee Anthony McNamee and Jack Smith I was with when I was at Watford Jack Smith's the goddaughter to a uh, godfather to my daughter, along with his wife Sophie, just love and respect people that just got it clued on in their in their personal lives. You know what I mean? Mm. They are probably two of the best people I've met in my career. Yeah, and Phil Smith, he's been on 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 this podcast and one of the nicest men in the business. Yeah, you know, yeah. There, there's things 
me when I got banned from driving, it was Jack Smith and um and Jack, it was Jack Smith and Phil Smith that would take me from Watford because we all lived in Watford, <laughs> or well, Jack lived in Hemel, I lived in Watford, and so did um, Phil. So when I got banned for six months, they were driving me up and down the M4. <laughs> <laughs> begrudgingly while I slept. (laughs) (laughs) Sleeping's out of order. You can't sleep if they're chauffeuring you. I couldn't help it, right? Because at that time, I had lost my license. Um, And my daughter, and my son, sorry, was just born. So I was doing the feeds, the night feeds. Okay. (laughs) And so I was getting getting up at six in the morning to meet them at about seven. And it was like, I'm knackered. I've just done two night feeds. (laughs) I'm sleeping and they're just hating me at the same time. I wake up with their eyes on me and they're like, you know what? When you start driving again, you're driving for like two months. And I was like, oh, yeah, definitely, man, because I'm thankful for what you guys are doing. But I'm still going to sleep. <laughs> Who were the most talented players that you played alongside at Swindon? Uh, obviously, got to be Milner, mm. um, Parkin, Brian Howard. I would say underrated, in my opinion, Sammy Igo. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Coxie, of course. Um, and then again, Lee Peacock. Um, his experience and the way he knew how to play, you know, for his age and for his current physical state, <laughs> state. <laughs> he had something because his body was breaking down every day, but he still managed to get on the pitch and and do a great job at times. Yeah. It's it just crazy. And who else were underrated? I don't know. I think a lot of them got the accolades they went or they went on to move they went on to move on to better things. So they're not underrated if they granted. Who are the characters? Character Christian Roberts has got to be a character, you know, good and bad in 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 in, in that sense. Lee Pot, Lee Peacock was always a great character having to have in the dressing room. Funny enough, Patrick Kanuka was always a good character because he was always dancing. <laughs> um, and he was a bit of a joker, so he just lightened up the mood. He didn't. Do, he didn't do YouTube uh, videos like Ricky Shakes did, though. No, but you see, funny enough, Ricky Shakes wasn't like a lively character. But if you got him to any dance floor, <laughs> he turned into an absolute beast. <laughs> beast, still... of course. Did you did you like the 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 nickname Beast? Yeah, neither here nor there. It came came with me to Aberdeen, so <laughs> it, it it was one of those things that just stuck. And yeah. it was Sam Parkin that managed to get that one going. Um, just by just by virtue of doing that interview, which said I was beasting people, and then all of a sudden it was, beast. you know, beast Jerry Eiffel, saying it in that Swindon accent as well. So they didn't even say my name properly when they were doing the chant. <laughs> but I was like, I'll take it, <laughs> I'll take it. Beggars can't be choosers in this industry. And and the final question: When you close your eyes and think of your Swindon Town career, what do you immediately think of? I just think of of roots. Yeah. Roots. That's what I think of. I've bedded roots here now. Yeah. You know, when I think of Swindon, I think of it like home. You know, that that's what it is. And that's what I'm thankful for really. It's it's given me some really good good times. It's it's taken me to, you know, different levels. I found, you know, I found faith while I was up here. I found I found, you know, how to manage a family and look after, you know, my son, my daughter, hopefully my wife. You know, and, you know, taking things beyond this now to the point where I'm giving back to the community in this area. And that's, for me, how I repay, you know, what the fans have done for me in a sense of making me feel wanted. I'm trying to help the the community, you know, with the kids that are growing and the 
the kids that are slightly lost in this area, you know, so it goes, you know, it's give and take. Yeah, absolutely. Jarrell, that was absolutely amazing. Thank you very much. Ah, no problem. The Low Strangers is proudly sponsored by the official STFC Supporters Club. The music was created by the great Matthew Kilford and the artwork is provided expertly by John Daglish. Thanks for listening. It's a grand old team to play for. And it's a grand old team to see. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.